Hi. either get sober or they're going to take my kids and uh you know i didn't get sober for the first couple weeks but uh you know i, I eventually was able to pull, pull my head out of my at my you know what and uh get my life together um but you know what by going to meetings on a daily basis or not on a daily basis but trying to go to a, you know a few meetings a week talking to my sponsor on a regular basis and just uh trying to do the next indicated thing is how i did it so uh that's all i got so thanks guys way to go shot any other with one ear how about two
so uncomfortable. Like, I just wanted to drink. I just needed a drink after I had just almost died the night before. So uh, he had gotten rid of everything in the house. And uh, I was in my bathroom, and there was rubbing alcohol there. And I drank that. And I, I always remember seeing, like, an Oprah show years ago. And um, there was a, a lady on there. She was in her front yard drinking um, mouthwash. And I was like, whoa. I'll never be like her, you know, at least I'm not like her. And then I, you know, and I remember standing at my sink and drinking that rubbing alcohol because I was just like, everybody knows what it's like at, you know, that point. And I said to myself, I'm going to die if I do this. So I just dumped it down the sink and I went, my parents were there for Thanksgiving. I had done like the house was all ready to go. <laughs> I had flowers that I had done, you know, I don't remember doing any of it. I I don't know how I did it. I I don't even I don't even you know it was just, so anyway. Luckily, she told my husband what he needed to know. My daughter got on the phone, found a place for me to go to, and that night I was in rehab. And I just for the first time in oh, am I not supposed to talk? Just a couple oh. of leaders. You, you hold that thought. Oh, okay. Yeah, then we'll continue with the show. She'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. hey. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, I know. Yeah. It's kind of misleading. They're doing the birthdays right now. Oh, I'm sorry. It was wonderful, it was wonderful so far. Stay tuned. There's a commercial. Okay. Uh, 13. Any more 13s? 14. 15. 15 to 20. 20 to 25. 25 to life. I think that's it. Okay. Do we have a literature report? Yes. All right. That's all right. Look who's doing the literature tonight. Yeah. Tommy G. Algoli. Tommy G. We've got literature uh, free for the taking. We've got pamphlets. We've got cards, uh, questionnaires. Are we really alcoholics? Some of us still wonder about it, right? Um, big books. If you need one, you can't afford them. Get at me after the meeting, and we'll figure it out. All right, thank you for letting me be your service. Thanks, Tommy. Oh, right. oh, right. oh, hey, now, <laughs> Lorraine, please. All right, let's give it up Lorraine. for her. Oh, it's Lorraine alcoholic. So, so um, I went to a rehab and. Um, for the first time in I, I, you know, years and years, I don't know, 20 years or something, uh, I was almost 52 years old and I had drank for a long, long time. <laughs> so uh, it was the first time that I really uh, had, because I was never one of those that did not drink. I just didn't, I just drank every single day. So uh, I didn't give, I never gave myself, like I would say Monday, you know, I'm not going to drink this week, but <laughs> then by Monday at three o'clock in the afternoon, that was all over. So it was just, uh, had become a complete shit show. And I, um, I really, I really knew no way out. And I didn't know any other alcoholics. So um, nobody in my family was. So um, to be able to go into a rehab and to be around people that understand, understood who I was and what I was going through was incredible. So I was there for the amount of time, but 
uh, my day to get out was after Christmas, and um, they told me that I could leave on Christmas Eve if I wanted to. And I really didn't want to. I just decided I wanted to live there <laughs> for the rest of my life because it was safe, and um, I was so afraid to go home. And um, But I, I knew that I had to go, so um, I decided to leave on Christmas Eve and come home and go to the big Christmas dinner the next day with all the people in the family that knew where I had been for the last 28 days. And, um, you know, but people were, my family was kind and loving and um, nobody, nobody was, nobody, they were just really good about the whole thing. And I did stand up when they were doing the prayer and I told them thank you for supporting me. So um, after that I was um, taken to a friend of mine told me about Canyon Ridge Hospital, which I went to for aftercare, and I met uh, Donna, who has become my sponsor, my one and only sponsor. I'm so grateful for her, um, her in my life, and her loving me till I could love myself again. <laughs> um, when they say that, it really is true. Um, and the one thing that I, there's so many, I mean, I, I think, feel like I learned how to be a person in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, how to be a, a good person. Um, and I was a good person before. I mean, you would never know that, um, you would never know, but it was all an internal thing. Like how I felt about myself was so, I was so disgusted every day that I had to get up and look at myself. And I used to think, why can't I just go, God, please? You know, and I just thought he forced, just forsake me every single day. And um, so I, I felt like I had this great relationship with God, but I really didn't. I was just a user of, of what I needed from him. And so um, one of the things that has been profound for me in AA is the, is the fact that when I look out at all you <laughs> and I think, how kind and loving people are and non-judgmental and I have never felt like not accepted in an AA meeting. I've never felt like anything but love and um, I'm so grateful for that. I think that we are all are really great people <laughs> because we know we've been on the other side. We've been where we don't want to be in the darkest of darkest holes and um, to be able to come through that is an incredible thing. So, um, and, and the other thing I just love is that we continue to learn and be, ex be open to learning things about ourselves. And this past year, Donna and I um, went through a, um, a study. It's called Rooted Through a Church. And we went through, I, I actually felt the Holy Spirit through this whole experience and, um, and I opened myself up, you know, um, when I, when you think about how you feel like you're, you know, God is really there for you and stuff. He, I feel that now after 13 years, I feel like God is really here for me and he, he does love me. He doesn't take any kind of, um, he doesn't keep score. Um, uh, and I was told that during this, this, um, study that we did and I mean it's just incredible that uh, we can come to that place um, and 
continue to grow and um, be better people. And that's really all I want. I, I feel like I wasted so many of my, <laughs> so many years um, with my, I have two daughters and I have a little three-year-old granddaughter now. And um, <laughs> I hope she never has to see me like that. But, you know, the good thing is my daughters and I can kind of <laughs> laugh about some of this stuff now. We don't have to, it doesn't have to be so dire anymore. Um, you know, there were some funny things that happened and there were some really crazy things, but the good thing is, um, they're accepting of it. They know how important AA is to me. My husband knows how important it is to me as well. I'm so grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous and I, um, and I'm grateful for every one of you and thank you, Dave, for asking me to lead, um, today. This was, this is really a neat meeting. So thanks. Thank you, Lorraine. Whoa! I'd like to introduce Dave. <laughs> All right, Dave. Hi, I'm Dave. I'm an alcoholic. <clears throat> Sean, congratulations. That's a that is a great thing um, to see you come up and celebrate today. I was really. Uh, it makes my heart happy today for you. And Lorraine, happy birthday to you as well. Hey, I want to pass some information along for some of you that know um, Joey. He uh, was in a car accident today. He's, he's okay, but he was uh, shaking up pretty good. So just want to pass it along. Keep him in your prayers. Um, anyways, I'm Dave and I'm an alcoholic. And... Um, Les, thanks for asking me to lead today. You know, I, uh, I had an opportunity a couple years ago to uh, get up here and lead, and I was in a really bad place in my life. Um, <clears throat> my sobriety date is uh, November 6, 1989. Um, and at, at about 30 years sober, um, I went through a breakup of my marriage. And uh, about four months later, my mom died. And I, and I got up here and I, and I shared about what was going on in my life. You know, I shared about that pain and anguish that I had. And, and it was the only thing that I could think about at the time. I was struggling really hard. And, uh, you know, um, having been in the program for a long time, um, I knew where to come. I knew what to do. And, um, and I did it to the best of my ability for where I was at at the time of my life. Um, but I, I'll go back here a little bit to how I got here, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, <clears throat> I come from an alcoholic family. My father was a drunk. He died an alcoholic. Um, and it was one of the reasons I, I could not get sober. I got to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous at 24 years old, and I truly believe I was an alcoholic long before that. And it didn't have anything to do with the drinking. It had to do with how I thought and how I felt. You know, I always felt less than. I, uh, I remember from a, a very young age seeing things that were happening uh, when I was in elementary school, how kids were treated that, you know, had to get free lunch. And, you know, my mom was raising six kids by herself. My father was just not there. And, you know, um, I learned that I didn't want anybody to know who I was or what was going on in my life. I didn't want you to know that I was poor. I didn't want you to know that I 
you know, I didn't have anything. And uh, I lived my, the majority of my life until I got sober that same way. I always wanted to be something. I always wanted to be bigger and better than I ever was. And, um, you know, as, as I've stayed sober for a long time, I realized I was always good enough. I just, I just needed to understand that. And um, so, you know, I was about 17 years old when I had my first real drink. Um, and, and it was weird. It was that those inhibitions went away. You know, I no longer was afraid of everything. You know, growing up, um, pretty good athlete. Um, but never good enough in my mind, you know, and I was the last of six kids and uh, you know There were so many different personalities in my family, you know I, I two old two oldest brothers and then twin sisters who were straight-a students and the brother that was just ahead of me he was like He was a seventh round draft pick in the major league baseball and he was a great player and he was but he was a friggin pothead and everything else and so by the time I got you know to a certain age all the teachers, you know, every time I went to school, they all knew my family well. And, you know, so I was always trying to prove myself to everybody. And, um, you know, I just, I never fit in. I never felt good about who I was. And um, so <clears throat> moving along and I, I, I'm about 17 years old. I had my first drink and probably the second or third time I drank, I got drunk and we were drinking wine because I didn't like the taste of beer. And I remember sitting at uh, my aunt's house on the front porch at Christmas time throwing up. <laughs> and you know, I'm, I'm just, oh God, I hope somebody doesn't find out, you know. And I, what was funny is they all knew and they were in there laughing about it, you know. But I, did, I didn't know this. I found this out much later in my life. But you know, um, as, as sick as I was at night, it was all those, all those feelings that I had, the emotions and the pain of being less than, they were gone. They just disappeared when I took that drink. And I felt that, I felt that like relief. And, um, and I chased that for a long time. I say that because I am a very high bottom drunk as far as I'm concerned. But the, the, the way I felt and, and, you know, when I finally got sober, um, I had a lot of guilt and shame. You know, um, my father being an alcoholic, I carried a lot of, I carried a lot of burden that my dad had, and um, you know, I, uh, I was, uh, I drank from the time I was about 17. I, I would call myself a periodic drunk because um, I really wasn't a, uh, I didn't drink all the time. I just drank when, you know parties on the weekend or whenever and you know but I, I pretty much go to work every day and I did stuff that normal people do I, I, I tried to emulate what other people did and then you know I, I just live my life like that and um, then I found cocaine and um, it took that alcohol to a whole new level I could drink as much as I wanted and it never faced me anymore uh, but boy did it make me crazy I mean it I, I chased my life a lot and um, you know I, I went through my early 20s I, I had a good job I worked in the grocery industry and um, I was working my way up through the store and you know it was it was really interesting is that 
I always felt less than, but I always had people that were telling me, you know, you're doing a great job, Dave, and they were promoting me, and all these things were going on, and I never felt good about it. And, uh, you know, um, I was 21 years old, and um, I got married, and I had a daughter uh, about nine months before I got married. And... Um, That's a hard part of my life. Um, I have th two little granddaughters that I don't get to see uh, because of my, uh, my daughter and the breakup of my marriage. Um, but, you know, when, when my daughter was born, I was a mess. I was in the, right in the middle of my drinking and drugging. And um, you know what? I didn't know what it was to be a father. I didn't know what it was to be a husband. I didn't know what it was to be an adult. I did not know. And you know, um, I, I did the best I could. You know, I, I didn't have any good role models to work with. You know, um, you know my father was an alcoholic. Um, my older brothers, you know, they were just doing the same thing I was, just trying to get along. And uh, so, anyways, um, I, uh, my drinking got a little worse, um, my dragging got a little worse, and yet I kept going and, and kept getting promoted. And then uh, they, I got laid off from my job, and, uh, and it really messed things up for me as far as financially. Um, and what was interesting is, and I think about this every time when I think about all my years of being um, sober today and what I felt that day. I could not go down to the unemployment office and file for my unemployment because it would have, I would have been admitting that I was less than. And my mom, I remember she said to me, you earned that money. You've had the job. You've been paying unemployment. You go down and file it. You need it. You need to take care of your, your daughter. You need to keep your apartment. All these things. And, you know, it was like, it was really painful for me, you know, because I was finally... Um, you know, it was just kind of looking, looking me in the face and I didn't know how to get rid of it. So my drinking got worse and it got worse and it got worse. And, you know, I finally went back to work um, and uh, I stayed on, the, on, on a job in a store for about a year and then I got a job um, working for Frito-Lay and I started making good money. And, um, and that, that's when my drinking really started to take off because, you know, I worked early in the morning, uh, you know, and it just, it just, it was a progression. You know, they talk about the, the progression of drinking and, and my life got a little crazier all the time. And at 24 years old, um, after I had pretty much, everybody in my family knew that I was an alcoholic, except for me. And they did an intervention on me. And, uh, you know, I, I remember when they did it and I remember all the shame and guilt I had and I, and I broke down and you know, um, it was the first time that you know I ever had to admit that a lot of the stuff that was going on in my life because I had ran and hid from it for so long. I, I just didn't know what to do with it. And uh, so I, I went I went to the uh, alcohol drug treatment center out in Pomona. It had just opened, and uh, I did the outpatient. And uh, well, I, I think it's funny is that I went to these I went to the uh, ADTC and they did the evaluation and the doctor was like 
30 years sober and the counselor was like 25 years sober. And I, I laughed, they pulled my covers off me so quick. It was, it was funny. But I remember him saying to me, he goes, he's asking me about my drinking. And, and he said to me, he goes, wow, it sounds like you got uh, a lot of willpower. And you know, I'm thinking, that's right. I got willpower, I'm a badass, you know? And, I, and I'm laughing because I, I think about it now, it's like, man, he was pulling my, my covers and laughing at me at the same time. And uh, so anyways, my counselor, he was uh, 20 some years sober at the time and his name was Phil Mangan. And he was a hard nose, you know, Phil. And uh, anyways, um, I played softball at the time and, and uh, we had a championship game coming up and it was, I, I did my classes out there on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. And anyways, I went to the, to Phil Mang and I said, hey, we're playing the championship game next week and I want to go to the game. Can I do it? And he says to me, sure. He said, I'll make you a deal. You go to a, an AA meeting on Saturday night uh, or Saturday and he said, you can have Tuesday off next week and you go play the game. And I'm thinking, where in the hell am I going to find an AA meeting on a Saturday? You know, and that's, that's what, that's it. You know, I, I knew nothing about Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, like I said, I came from an alcoholic family, but my father never, that I know of, ever went to any AA meetings. And, uh, you know, of course, I didn't go to the meeting, but I went to the softball game. And it started the progression one more time. I went back out and started drinking again. We were, you know, and off it went again. So I spent three years in and out of these rooms, and I struggled. And, you know, the one thing that I always was in, uh, at the forefront of my staying drunk and, is that I never heard what you were saying and I never related to you because first off, I wasn't an alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic. He was a guy that came stumbling into the house and would sit on the coffee table thinking he was, you know, a drunk. I, you know, that he's sitting on the table and thinking he's on the couch. And, um, and, and that's what an alcoholic was to me. And see, I got up and went to work every day and I... I did the things that I thought I needed to do. Um, and, you know, that's, so I, I couldn't get it. And um, so I lost my job at Frito-Lay, not because of drinking and alcohol, um, but because I was an asshole. Um, you know, plain and simple, I, I really was. And you know what, um, I look at it today and I realize I deserved to be fired. I was, you know what, I was a smug ass. I was an arrogant jerk. And, um, you know, here I was just a sales guy. And, you know, I, I talked to the freaking account sales manager like he was a piece of crap. And, you know, I deserved to lose my job. And uh, so, um, that's 1988. And uh, so I, a friend of mine that I used to drive, uh, he ran a route uh, out here. He offered me a job, and so I took a job part-time driving a beer truck. Great job for an alcoholic. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, uh, I did really good at it. I was really good at it. You know, and in the beginning, I, I, I worked hard, and, you know, I, I did all the things. And actually, I probably always worked hard for him um, because I liked my boss, Jerry. He was a good guy, and he helped me out a lot. And... Um, but you know, when you have that, you have an unlimited supply of alcohol, and you have a, a mind that works like mine. Um, it didn't. It didn't work really well for me. And um, 
So I was kind of a binge drinker every day. You know, I'd, I'd start early, get my route done, and then I'd spend the whole afternoon, you know, making sure I had plenty of beer before I had to go back into the depot. And, uh, and, it, and it, just, it just led to some really bad things. You know, it messed up my household, it messed up my family, it messed up my relationship with my wife, and it, and it, it messed up my relationship with my child because I was not present in my life. I was too busy chasing that next drink or next high or whatever it was I was doing. Um, so 1989, I was, I had a route um, in Kavina, Glendora, Azusa, right in this area. And uh, I was driving down an alley and I'm literally past this building and somebody opens up a door and hits a dumpster. And the dumpster turns and hits the back of my trailer on my truck. And nothing I could do. I was already past the door. And so anyways, I, I, I get out and I look and the truck's got a big scrape on the side of it. And I'm like, oh my God. And I knew that they were going to make me take a drug test. And, you know, I had been struggling for three years in and out of these rooms. And I walked, I walked into uh, what's Rude Dog, I think, now in Camino. I'm not positive what the bar's called anymore. And I walked in, and this is long before cell phones. And I went in and got on the payphone and I called my boss, Jerry. And I said, Jerry, um, I told him what happened. I said, um, and somebody opened a, a door and pushed a dumpster into the truck as I was driving down the alley. And he said, well, don't worry about it, Dave. He said, you know, you know, when you come in, just go take the drug test and, uh, you know, don't worry about it. And I just, for the first time in my entire life, I said to him, I can't pass a drug test. It was the first time I ever, ever admitted that I had a problem right then and there. And it was like this friggin' weight was lifted off me right then and there. Because, um, you know, I always, I always was afraid of knowing who I really was. And, um, and that was the first time I had ever, ever admitted to anything about my alcoholism and, and the problem I had. And uh, so anyways, of course, I failed the drug test and I knew I was going to. And, um, and they gave me six months of mandatory drug testing. And on November 5th of 1989, and you know, probably it was at six o'clock at night, I said to my drug dealer as I was leaving his house, I'll see you in six months. 33 years and uh, about um, 40 days. I have never seen nor talked to him since. And there's by the grace of God, I, and in all honesty, there by the grace of God, because, you know, when I got here, I, I could not stay sober. I, I mean, when I walked in the doors in 1986, I, I had no idea of what it was to be sober, you know, or, or to even live like a normal person. I didn't even know what that was. And, you know, I, I got back in the rooms in 1989, and I started going to meetings. And, you know, I knew Dan's, Dan's dad, Bruce. I, I went to a Monday night meeting with him. I went to a Saturday night meeting with him. And I, and I what was weird is I, I got a sponsor, you know. And I can tell you right now, if you're new in this program or you're, you're fairly new in this program or you've been around and you, and you just can't get it and you don't have a sponsor, you need to get a sponsor. And get somebody you can relate with. Get somebody that you can talk to that's not going to, you know, that's, that's gonna be there when you need to talk to them. You know, the one thing I know for sure about this program of all my years of sobriety 
is that when I talk about what's really going on in my life, um, it takes away all that power and that fear and that and that stuff that I've got, you know, that makes me feel less than. Um, and you know, I started going to meetings um, with people that had 40 years sobriety, 42 years sobriety, and and I'll tell you right now. I remember when I walked through the doors and the first time somebody said they had 40 years of sobriety, I literally sat in the back of the room and I said, you're full of shit. There's no way that anybody could be sober for 40 years. You know, you're, you're all talking out your ass, you know, because I, I mean, it just didn't make any sense to me. I didn't understand, um, I didn't understand how you could possibly be sober for 40 years. I can be sober for 40 minutes sometimes, you know, and I did a lot of chasing, I lit a lot of chasing. But you know what, I came back and I started going to these 12-step meetings and the big book studies and um, and I and I got a sponsor, um, Bob Dinwiddie was my sponsor, Dan. And uh, he was 42 years sober when um, he was my sponsor. And what was interesting is the one thing he taught me to do, he taught me how to be an adult, he taught me how to be a man, he taught me how to be a father, he taught me how to be a husband, and he taught me how to be a good employee. You know, and none of those things I, had I ever been in my life. I was a good person, but boy, was I a mess. I mean, I my, the way I was and the behavior that I did, I never realized what a mess I was until I was long sober and had a chance to actually reflect back on it. You know, when I did my first fourth step, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. You know, and I've done a couple of them since then. And, you know, um, there are a lot of things that trigger things in me that I remember, you know. Um, but I, I came back in the rooms and I started doing the things that were told to me, you know. Get a sponsor, go to meetings, be of service. I mean, these were things that were told to me and these were simple things. You know, I never wanted to be a part of this program. And, and yet I, I ended up being, um, when I came back, I, I, I really got, involved in it and you know today when I say I'm a grateful alcoholic I mean that from the bottom of my heart I mean that um, I know what that means today you know I uh, I uh, I started um, you know, spending time with people that cared about me as a person, you know, and, uh, you know, when I got here, I spent time with people that were just like me, that were unhappy, miserable, alcoholics, drunks, drug addicts, and, you know, um, misery loves company is kind of what they said, and, you know, um, I never thought I could relate to an alcoholic because, I, like I said, I grew up in that family, and I, and I did not want to be, I didn't want to admit that you know, I, I was like that. And um, so there was a good 10 to 15 years of my, of my uh, recovery where I just kind of went through the motions. I went to meetings and I shared at the meetings, but it seemed like uh, most of the time when I was sharing, I was just sharing about, you know, ho-hum things. You know, my life's, you know, my life, I'm not happy with my life. I'm not happy with my work. I'm not happy. And I, and I went through this for a long, long time. And um, 
you know, today when I, I look at what it is for me to be sober today, it is not about the physical part of it anymore for me. It's, it's the part of it where I have some peace and serenity, you know. Um, I, sh I go to a lot of Zoom meetings, um, and you know, the one thing I do is I share in those meetings. I share about what's going on in my life. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's the most important thing about getting sober is talking about the things that are going on in your life, good or bad. You know, I, I, I can tell you right now, there have been a lot of really, really good things that have happened in my life, in my sobriety. And you know, I, it's, sometimes it takes me a while to realize that they are good things. You know, the first one is that I got sober and I stayed sober. That is the very first thing that, because um, I, I can tell you right now, when I got here, um, I had no idea how it was to stay sober. I did not understand that at all. And you know, there by the grace of God, I've been lucky enough to put some days together. And, um, and today I work on the stuff in my life that gives me happiness. You know, the, the getting close to God kind of things. You know, and I, I know it's not always for everybody, um, but I, I'm at that point in my, in my recovery that I need to be uh, having a conscious contact with God because that's what, that's what makes me feel good today. You know, um, I, I don't know, I've... Uh, I'm just sitting here thinking about all the stuff that has happened over the course of years. Um, but at 30 years sober, I told you, I went through a, a, a breakup of my marriage. And, um, and it made me do a lot of soul searching. It made me take and really take a look at some of the things. And the one thing I can tell you that I do is I have a journal and I've kept it for years. And I write a lot of stuff down. and. Um, and I started looking back at my journal after that, after I broke up my marriage, and I started realizing that there was patterns over and over and over again. And you know, I, I, I talked to my sponsor about it, and I did another four-step about it, and I went and got professional help for it. I went and spent six months with a counselor, and um, you know, I started realizing that, you know, I can only be part of the problem, and I can only be part of the solution. And I, that's when I started to realize that um, I needed to get back in the program and, and start working the steps again in a different manner this time than I did. You know, um, I love the I love the promises. Let's see if I can find them here. Um, you know, it's it's funny as a promise is basically walk you through the steps of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. It says if we're painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we're halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the, the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. I, I laugh about that because my sponsor, um, Don and Lorraine know him. Uh, Steve Twig always tells me when I tell him I, you know, um, I feel like I'm at peace, he goes, well, Dave, you, you've just never seen that before. It's, it's what they call serenity. And you know, it's funny is it it's the truth is that, you know, for the longest period of my life, it's like I always look for a, 
the problems. I never, I never could enjoy life. I was always living in the in the problems. And uh, you know, as as time has gone on, and when the one thing for sure is when all that stuff happened in 2020, um, it made me take a really hard look at at some of the deep things that you know in my life, and started making me realize. I needed to be grateful for a lot of the program and a lot of the things that have happened in my lifetime. You know, I, I spent a lot of my years being unhappy about things that probably didn't mean anything to me. But you know, it's like that's who I am. And um, you know, um, that's why I said, you know, when I when I look at the promises and I read through them, is it, it teaches me so many things. I I like the part where it says we. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which choose to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And on I don't know how many occasions in my lifetime as an alcoholic, a sober alcoholic, he has been there and picked me up, dusted me off, and, and pointed me in the right direction. You know, and um, I, I am... When I say I'm a grateful alcoholic today, um, I, re I really am. Um, the program Alcoholics Anonymous has allowed me so many things to happen in my life. You know, um, some of you know um, I, I, I love racing. I love cars and I love everything about it. And, uh, you know, many years ago, I got an opportunity to work at Irwindale Speedway, Irwindale Drag Strip, and get to be an announcer. And what's funny is when I look at that stuff that has happened and the things that have happened in my lifetime, none of this was possible without the, without the program of Alcoholics Anonymous because these people would have never wanted to let me get behind a microphone first off and talk to anybody because first off I probably would have said something that was completely out of line, you know, and I still do. I still do. I'm sober today 30 years and I still sometimes say things when I'm talking about racing. And, and, I, and I, it just comes out of me, you know? Um, but I am, I am grateful because, you know, when I get up in the mornings every day, I, I usually do a meeting every day of the week. Um, and uh, for those of you that know me from the Zoom meetings, I have a dog that knows what the serenity prayer is. <laughs> and and, and it, what's funny is she sits on the bed behind me as we're doing the meeting every morning. And when we do the serenity prayer, she jumps off and runs to the front door because she knows it's time to go walking. <laughs> you know, and um, the one thing I, I, I can tell you is that when I walk every morning, I spend about 45 minutes walking with my dog. And it's, that is my time that I spend meditating. You know, that phys physiological um, time where I just go and clear my head so that I can be a better employee, so I can be a better person. You know, I struggle. I struggle. I, I sat at Kim's house, and um, that's a person right there that has made a huge difference in my life. You know, she's she's given me a lot of peace and calm, and um, and not been judging of me. And um, you know, I I'm there are times that I I struggle. You know, I I think that at 33 years sober, I should be better at some of the things than I am. And then I realize that I'm just a human being and that uh, I'm fallible and I make mistakes. You know, I want to be perfect. I truly do want to be perfect. But I realize that, that 
Um, I'm not. And, you know, I, and I'm, I'm reminded, God gives me these little shots once in a while that remind me that, um, you know, he's just giving me an idea to take a look at what's going on. And usually it happens, usually it happens about two seconds after I've done it. And, um, you know, that's the one thing about steps, steps six and seven that are really good for me, is that it's a reminder to me that God will remove them from me when he, when he knows I'm ready to have them removed. You know, I want them now. Everything about this thing I've ever had, everything in my life, I can look at my whole lifetime. I always wanted everything right now. And I want, I want all my shortcomings to be gone right now. And um, God, God removes them from me when he knows I'm ready for it. You know, um, and it, it's a re reminder for me. You know, I, I, I sometimes like to think that I, I'm calm and peaceful. And then I think about what my mom said to me when she was alive. She said, they need to watch you when you're watching a football game because I just lose my shit. You know, and uh, and you know it's funny is that I have to I have to laugh about that because for the longest time I would watch baseball, football, and I'd be screaming at the TV, and I thought I was absolutely nuts. And um, and you know I finally said to somebody one day, I go, "Am I the only one that does this?" And it was funny. It was a resounding from like 30 people. Nope. You know, and I and then and it was just a reminder to me that. Um, I have, there are so many things that I have learned over the course of these years that I've practiced into my life. You know, I still, um, I don't, I don't profess to know the book, the big book. I, I, I hear people go into the uh, meetings and they share and they can quote the big book and they can quote all these things. I get a lot of stuff when Les sends me these little things in the morning. Yeah, I get these things from Les all the time, the daily, the daily, uh, prayer things and I share them with the group in the in the zoom meetings and sometimes they are so amazing the stuff that he sends to me because it applies to my life today it applies to my life 30 years ago and and it's like that's a that's a reality check for me you know it's the program um, it works in my life when I work it and you know the thing is when I stay close to this program I have a lot of peace and a lot of serenity in my life. And, um, you know, I, I'll tell you, uh, I'm just thinking about something right now with Sean just celebrating a, a year, is that I went through the same time frame he did. I got sober on November 6th, and I went through the holidays my first year, and my, um, my wife had left me at the time. I had lost my house. Um, I had a part-time job as a beer truck driver, and I pretty much was a disaster. Um, and I was the only one that didn't didn't realize how screwed up I was. Everybody else did, and they pretty much were just standing back watching. Um, and they, I, and they, and I think they all thought I was going to fail because I I had stayed, I kept going back out. I could not get sober, and you know. Um, God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. He kept me sober for the first day, for the first week, for the first month, for the first year. Um, and I still didn't know what the hell I was doing. 
you know, and I and I got up and I went to meetings and I, I, uh, I took direction, and I I I remember going to the midnight mission many times with Dan's dad, and uh, that was a reality check for me, you know, um, I could have been right there, and you know that was one of the things I never wanted to be, I never wanted, you know, I I looked at. I, I said this in the beginning of my speaking. I always felt less than. I always felt less than. And, and you know, when I, when I went down to the Midnight Mission, I really got it. I got a real good opportunity to see what it really is to be at the bottom. Because, like I said, I was not, I was a high bottom drunk as far as I was concerned because I hadn't lost everything. I still had a lot to give and and but I didn't know how to do it and you know coming to the meetings and 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 spending time with people that had a lot of years and a lot of life experience was the greatest thing I could have ever done because they helped me to walk through the early parts of my years you know and I like I said I didn't have any of the answers and today I still don't have the answers but I know that if I pick up the book and the 12 and 12 and the big book and I read through some of those things, there's always an answer in there for me. And I pick up and I call my sponsor. You know, I talked to him just a couple days ago and I laughed, he goes, so what's the answer to the world's problems today? And you know, he always makes it a joke, you know, when he says it to me. And it's like, I don't know, you know, because I, I, I today's challenge might not be here tomorrow at all for me, you know, and usually the challenges that I face, the ones that I create of my own doing, you know, and I get an opportunity every single day to start my day off being grateful, getting on my knees. I say a prayer. I meditate when I walk um, and I clear my head. And um, you know what? The program of Alcoholics Anonymous has afforded me so many things in my life. And, uh, and I am very, very grateful to uh, be a member of the program. And uh, I thank you for being here for me tonight. Thanks. I'm less alcoholic. Let's give Dave and, and Lorraine a hand for a great meeting. I'm your grapevine rep. This is really kind of cool. Amateurs Anonymous. A member learns the importance of not being an expert on everything. Not even AA. He's just an alcoholic. You know, this is meeting in print. It, it, it comes in at the right time when you need it. You know, keep it in the car. Give a subscription subscription to, to a recovery house or send it to an inmate in prison. Uh, they could share your experience, strength, and hope in print. You know, hospitals, institutions, H&I. It, it's a great thing to have. And what we do here... I, I'll give one away. You could read it and, get, and bring it back so we could recirculate it. So uh, anybody would want to come up and get this one here? Come on. Yay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Thanks. Great. Thank you. Okay, where's that raffle girl? <laughs> the raffle girl. <laughs> Tina. Hey, hey, Bruce Brown would used to say, you're not clapping. <laughs> you're, you're not clapping. <laughs> We could do this deal together. Okay. He used to also say, if you think birthdays are hokey, you get your own. Okay, so we got three 
books. The 12 and 12 pocket size. Wait, wait, wait. We got AA in prison. It's a short stories of how people got sober while they were incarcerated. And then we got our great responsibility, which is a picture book. It only takes what 87 years to come out with a picture book. And there's um, it's a history book. Here's this one. So. Oh, next time, next time we'll save that for next time. Okay, we're gonna raffle these off. Pick one. All right. What do we got? There you go. Okay. Oh wait, we got two here. We'll we'll do both of them, okay? Because he picked them. Okay, seven, eight, three, three. Come on down, Jimmy. Jimmy, check your tickets. <laughs> no, seven, eight, three, three. It's probably last. No, I don't have it. Seven, eight, three, three. Right there. Come on, Jimmy. We got a winner, winner. Yay! Oh, I told Gary. you you're a winner. Gary, you wanted this one. Guaranteed it. That was a history book. I'll take it. Yeah, All right. All right, Gary. All right, Gary. Okay, the next one. Gary's probably got it too. Seven, eight, three, six. Uh oh, Ness. Why'd you do that? He got it again. Alright, see, see. Gotta mix it up a little bit. You want to draw it again? Alright, okay. 7860. Yay! Good for you, my dear. Oh, Liz. You want the prison one? No, I got it from Liz. You got the I gave it to Which one do you want? This is the pocket size 12 prison one. My girl, there you go. That's right, there you go. All right, Liz. My girl. I went to a men's prison for 18 years until COVID. Okay. And then they kicked me out. Couldn't get back in. Okay. All right, 7874. Check your tickets, 7874. Come on, Jimmy, you need this 12 and 12. You, you need this. <laughs> 7874. All right, let's give it to the man that needs it. He's got it. Come on, Jimmy. Come on, Jimmy, just come on. Do the walk. Do the walk. Yay! <laughs> Yay! I see God has a plan. Thank you. Yeah, we had it. We really had it. All right. Thank you guys so much for for, for uh, supporting our raffle each yes. week. We really do appreciate and appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you, Chip. Thank you, Chip. I'm less alcoholic, and we need some. We need some. Uh, let's give uh, Carlos a hand for good cooking, and Fernando for setting up, and and everybody that comes early and helps clean up. And if you're interested in getting uh, involved, see Fernando or I after the meeting. We need a lot of help after the meeting, cleaning up and put, helping them get the stuff to the truck. And uh, where's our? We have a, a list. Right? Yeah. A phone list.
and it's up to date. So if you want to get on the phone list, put your name on there. And if you want a, a copy, go get one. Hey, Jimmy, you want to come up and read this? The promises? I didn't bring my glasses. Go ahead. Okay. Hi. Young lady, would you like to come up here and read this? But I'll read again. Oh. I've read already, but I don't mind. I'll read. Dan, come on. Dan. Oh, Dan. I'll read. I'm already standing. Yeah. All right, come on, Tina. All come right. On, Tina. I'm an alcoholic. I'm Tina. These are the promises. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and no peace. We will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in, in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Now, after a moment of silence for the alcoholic that still suffers, in and out of these rooms and the innocent children caught in the crossfire please join me in the lord's prayer our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil Lies the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Come back. It works. You know, I enjoy hearing your